Hey everybody, you're listening to the River Audio Podcast, a weekly sermon podcast of the River Worship Center. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. First John chapter three in verse one. And the scripture says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for today, and thank you for this word. Thank you for this message. I need your help completely to convey it to your people. I ask that you would fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Father, that you would do in me for speaking and in the people for hearing that which you do. Father, that you would open eyes and ears and hearts and minds that we would see, that we would recognize, that we would understand. And Father, that we would mix it with faith that it would profit us something. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. It's incredible. And we will spend our whole life learning this and relearning this and relearning it. And even through all eternity, you know, a lot of people think that when we leave this life and when we become present with the Lord, that suddenly we'll just know everything. I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. I don't believe that you and I will ever reach omniscience. I think that when we've been there a thousand years, come on somebody, we will be just as blown away at God as we are the first day that we step into his presence there. God is so ungraspable, so unattainable, so uncontainable, forever and forever and ever, he's going to continually reveal himself to us, and we're going to be just as impressed every single time. We can never, ever wrap our minds around why God wants us, why God made us, made us out of a want for us, but we don't know why. And then furthermore, that he would call us sons, that he would call us his children. 
And so the writer here is saying, behold, what manner of love is this? What is this kind of love? What kind of a love does God have that as a father, he would bestow this love on us in that he would call us his children? What manner of love? He goes on to say this. Beloved, now we are, now we are the sons of God. He said, it doesn't appear yet what that's going to mean in the future, how we are going to be or how we will appear. But we know this. When he appears, we're going to be like him, and we're going to see him just as he is. We are going to see God as he is for who he is. Now, I want to take a few minutes and we're going to run through some things that we've talked about quite a bit recently. I'm not going to use a whole lot of the scriptures that we've already covered because we've done that in past weeks and past months. Uh, but you'll remember the references, and then you can go back and check your notes from before if you want to study them out more. But we are going to hit some of these attributes of God really quick, and we're going to lead up to, in a culmination, the heart of what this passage of scripture is telling us. So we shall see him as he is. We will see him as he is. Well, how is he? How is he? Right now, we accept these things by faith because we haven't seen them completely. It's like looking through a glass darkly, but then it will be face to face. Let's start with talking about the existence of God, the state of God, simply that he is, his being, who he is. God is the only God. That's a big part of what makes him God. A lot of people believe in multiple gods, but the truth of the matter is if they're a whole bunch of them, none of them are God because God kind of means that one supreme ultimate, you know. God is the only God. There is none above him and there is none beside him. God is God alone. And everything that exists, exists in God. Everything is held together by God. Before God, there was none, and there was not even a before God. There was not a time before God. God is eternal. He is eternally existent in all space and time. There has never been a moment when God wasn't. He precedes time eternally. So God is the only God. Part of the characteristics of being God and being the only God, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. There is no where that God isn't. There's not a location that he doesn't exist. There's not any geography that he does not 
fill. God is omnipresent. Not only is he omnipresent in the sense of location, but he is ever-present. He is omnipresent in what we would call time. He is present in every time. God is right now present in the past. God is present in the present, and God is present in the future. God was not created. God is self-existent, which will make your head hurt. He is self-existent, has always been, always will be. God has no beginning, and thank God, he has no end. He is the Alpha and he is the omega, the first and the last. He is eternal. God. God is omnipowerful. Omni simply means all and every. He is omnipowerful, which makes him almighty. He owns all might and all power and all strength There is none greater than him, none that are even close to his greatness. Some people have the idea that God is the good side of spiritual power and the enemy, the devil, is the bad side of spiritual power, and they're kind of battling it out. Listen, the devil is not battling it out with God. There is no fight. The devil is battling it out with us because he doesn't want us to follow the Almighty. But there is no fight. And the devil is a created being. He's a created being with a beginning, come on, and with an end. But God is almighty. He is all-powerful. He holds all strength and all might. And God is omniscient. Omniscient, omniscience. Really, it's omniscience. The word science meaning knowledge, information, to know. And God is all the science. God is omniscience. He is all-knowing. And he's not just knowing all of the facts, but he's also knowing all of the way. It's not just that he knows all the information in the books, but God is the God of wisdom the only wise God. He's the spirit of wisdom and wisdom itself. And wisdom flows forth from him. And we have an option to choose God's way or to choose our own way. We can do things a carnal way or we can do them God's way. God is omniscient. God has all the answers. God has everything we need to know, and God has all the decisions that we need to make, all of the choices, all of the way. God is omniscient. Now, here is a bonus verse that is not in your, uh, on your sermon note sheet. I added it afterward. 1 John 1 and 5. We'll see just how fast they are in that booth. 1 John 1 and 5. This then is the message, just checking. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. Now we've told you that God is. We've told you he is omnipresent. We've told you he is omni, uh, omniscient. 
He is omnipowerful. Come on, that would really be omnipotent. But this says that God is light. If you've been in the Genesis Bible study, we've been talking a little bit about this. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. Light itself. Light. God is the source. God created light, and God is the source of light. The sun coming up in the morning. And even before the sun, God's light existed. God is the light. We're going to a city where there is no more night, and God is the light. Come on. And so God is, he's the light. He is the light in that sense, but he is also the light in the proverbial sense. He is the illuminator. You see, none of you went looking for God, and I did not go looking for God, but God came looking for us. God grabbed our attention. We weren't moving in a direction toward God. We were moving away from God. The Bible shows us that no human being pursues God. God draws us. No one can come to the Father but that he is drawn. The Holy Spirit of God draws us. God himself draws us to himself, and he does it by illumination. He gives light to our heart. He gives light to our conscience, and he grabs our attention, and he creates desire. He does it by the measure of faith that he's already put in every human being. The Bible says he's given to every man the measure of faith. Every human being has the God-given ability to believe in God. Every human being has the question. Every human being has the thing inside that says, we didn't just show up, did we? This all did not just happen, did it? A lot of people don't like that, and so they shut it down and they ignore it. Romans says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. He was already in their knowledge because he put himself in their knowledge. He already put the knowledge of himself, and he wrote it in the stars and in all of nature and in all of creation. And so you can't get around it. You have to. It's not hard to believe in God. It's hard not to believe in God. You have to choose not to believe in God. You have to push down the facts. You have to ignore the obvious. You have to reject common sense. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Come on. You have to ignore all of it. And so God is light. He illuminates and he grabs our attention. Something inside says there is a God. And I want this God. And we begin to look for spiritual things. Can I tell you how to know for sure if the Holy Spirit is working in someone's life? If they are asking spiritual questions. Because nobody gets curious about things of the Spirit unless God is already moving on them. You've got some folks in your life you're trying to witness to and you're trying to minister to, and you have been discouraged. They've been talking about spiritual things, and you've been trying to answer them, and you feel like you're getting nowhere, and you've been discouraged. You should be encouraged. The fact that they are curious 
the fact that they are looking at all, the fact that the question came up, those questions don't come up in human beings without the touch of God. Be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is already drawing your loved ones. He's already speaking to your friends. He's already working on their heart and their con- their conscience. God is light, and he is the illuminator. All of this that we're hearing about God and everything that I've said, you could preach on any one of these points for years and years and years and years and years, and we're doing it all in about, you know, five minutes here. Uh, if all of these things that we've presented, all of these display God's completeness. It displays his completeness. God is complete. God lacks nothing, and he never has. Before the sun, moon, and stars, God was complete. Before the creation of the earth, God was complete, which is before us. Before humanity, God, complete. Before the angels, God, complete. God has always been God, and God has always been fully complete, fully whole, and lacking nothing. He is ultimate. He is supreme. There can be only one, and it's him, God. He needs nothing else. He needs no one else in order to be everything that he is. This that I've just presented to you is the being of God, the status of God, the position of God. But now let's look at the nature of God. Let's look at God in terms of his values, in terms of his characteristics, in terms of personality. We've looked at who he is. Let's look at how he is. We'll say it this way. What is he like? What is he like? Well, in our, uh, in our status presentation, we learned that he's great and almighty. So this first part of his character ought to make us really happy. He is good. He is good. If God was great but not good, we wouldn't be here. We would not be here. He would not put up with us and probably wouldn't have created us to begin with. But somehow out of his goodness, God decided he just wanted to make us. He just wanted to make us. I was sharing with somebody the other day. It's funny because many people that say that they don't believe in God, that they don't believe God exists, it's a funny thing because when you begin talking to them, If we're talking about someone existing or not existing, the follow-up conversation should have something to do with why they do or they do not exist. The evidence should run somewhere along the subject. But any of the people that I talk to, it never seems to. When they say God does not exist... And then I say, tell me about this. 
They change the subject, and they start giving answers that have nothing to do with whether or not God exists. They start saying, kids should not have cancer. They start saying, evil should not exist. They start saying that they're going through a hard time. They say that they're overwhelmed and that they are stressed out, and if there was a God, that surely things would be better. Now, I don't know what this has to do with where the stars and the moon came from. I, I, I don't know how you having a bad day explains how trees appeared out. I'm having a bad day. That means nothing made trees. Life is really hard and some kids are sick. That means animals made themselves. Do you see the disconnect? Do you see the problem? Do you see how these two subjects have nothing to do with each other? So what I try to get these people to do is admit what they're not willing to admit. They just need to say God is a bad God. They just need to be honest. And they need to say, I believe God is bad. Kind of makes your stomach cringe when I say that, doesn't it? Which is exactly why they don't. Something inside of them automatically knows that to be God means to be good. It is inside of them. It, they are so hardwired that God is good that when times get hard, it's easier for them to say, I don't believe in God. They wouldn't dare say, I believe in him and he's bad. So what happens? It is a choice. It's not that they actually believe there's no God. It's that they have to do something with what they don't like. To say there is no God, really, they're just blaming everything on God. Romans says they were in love with the darkness more than the light. They wanted to do things their own way, and they chose not to retain God in their knowledge. They decided to kick God out of their mind. They decided not to believe. Belief is a choice. Belief is a choice. And they decided, I won't believe in God. I don't want to admit that I think he's real and he's bad. I just will kick him out of my brain. The moment I acknowledge something made the stars, I'm also now accountable to the one that made the stars. And I don't want to be accountable to anybody. I want to be in control. I don't want to be responsible for my actions. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it. I want to do whatever feels good. I want to do it my way, my thing, my time. So I just don't really want God. All of this, when you do the math, is evidence that God is good. <laughs> that God is good. Romans also says it's the goodness of God that lead men to repentance. If people will slow down and get honest as God is reaching out to them, if they will start to look at the overwhelming evidence, the goodness of God will begin to melt their heart and break them. And they will have to admit that in spite of all the bad in the world, it doesn't change that God is good. Despite how my day is going, despite who is sick, despite who died, despite who I, what I did not understand, 
My not understanding why the circumstance turned out that way does not change the fact that God is good. So what I don't understand, I trust. I trust that God is, and I trust that God is good, that he's good. The scripture said those that come to God must believe he is and must believe he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So God makes the first move. God moves on you. He turns your eyes, your attention toward him. He draws you, and then you have the option to move toward that which is moving toward you or to run and to reject him. But God is good. What's he like? He's good. God is love. The Bible does not say God has love. The Bible says God is love. All love that exists is an extension. Any real love, God is the source of real love. And by the way, real love is sacrificial. Real love is not self-seeking. Real love has nothing to do with physical gratification. Real love, God is the source. God is love. We look at the fruits of the Spirit to see some of the values, the characteristics of God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, we know that when we want to buy some fruit, we go to the produce section. Fruit is what is produced off of a tree or a vine. It's the produce. So when I see the fruit of the capital S Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it is what the Holy Spirit produces in your life. As believers, we are supposed to produce the attributes of God. Our first and greatest calling is to be image bearers of God. The purpose of humanity is to declare the glory of God in the earth by our way of living and by our proclamation that there is one God and of who that one God is. That is our calling. What's the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to live as God has called us to live, to live according to God's way, not according to the world's way, and to give that one the glory for it. Some people have tried to hold the values but kick God out. God's way without God doesn't work. And then some people have tried to hang on to God but didn't want to do it God's way. God without God's way doesn't work. It's got to be God and God's way. Am I making sense this morning? So what are some of these attributes? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, which is very different than happiness, Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is for a second. Joy is a much deeper contentment than happiness. I can take a depressed, suicidal person, tell them a joke. They might laugh at the joke, and they're happy for a second. That's not joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Long-suffering means to suffer long. It means to put up with and put up with and put up with and put up with. It is patience real, true, long-term patience. It is to love someone so much that you, uh, I'm not talking about enabling, but I'm talking about your love doesn't give up on them. You just keep reaching out. You keep hoping. You keep believing. Well, God is long-suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, 
meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. All of this issues from the heart of God. All of this is how God is. He's a loving God. He is a patient God. He is the God of peace. He is the God of joy unspeakable and full of glory. He is a God of gentleness, which does not mean weakness. He is a God of goodness, of faith. He is even meek, and God doesn't have to be, but he chooses it, which we'll look at a little more here in a minute. If we want to know what God is really like, the best place to look is Jesus. We open our Bible. How many of you know that believers read their Bible? Come on, we should. We should. We should be reading the Bible. If we want to know what God is really like, we open the Bible and we read the Gospels. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then John, and then John, and then John. And then we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we look at Jesus. We look at his interaction with people. We look at his heart toward people. We look at the way he handles people. We look at the way he handles the religious, which is like real firm and making a point. And then we look at the way that he handles the lowly who are already in straightened, humbled circumstances. Always remember this, law to the proud, grace to the humble. God wants to save everyone. And if he has to break you to save you, he loves you so much he will. Come on, you would never think about hitting your kid with a two-by-four. But if it was, <laughs> except Robin, except Robin, you, <laughs> okay, none of the black people get to answer this question. If you would never... <laughs> Got to remember my demographic. Most of us would never hit our child with a two-by-four. Go with me. But check this out. If your child had their finger in a light socket and it had a hold of them, and a two-by-four was the only thing you could get to save their life, you'd be willing to break them to save their life. Come on, somebody. God is not looking to hurt you. But if you have grabbed a hold of something that you're not able to let go of, and God by force has to break you to save you, he loves you that much. We ought to give him a hand clap because he will. He's a good father. He is a good father. So if we want to know what God is like, the best place to look is Jesus. Read Jesus over and over. Never, ever stop reading Jesus and the apostles and his interaction with the people in the different places he went. You can see how he dealt, dealt with uh, the leaders of the day. You can see how he dealt with those that were afflicted by demon spirits. You can see how he dealt with the rich, how he dealt with the poor. You can see how he dealt with the rich that might have been humble or the poor that might have been proud or vice versa. And you can see what God is really like. Jesus, the Bible says, is the logos of God. He's the logos of God, which is a word for word, but it happens to be the word that we use for a logo, like a company. And if you put your logo on a sign, 
You know, a really, really good logo designer will build into that logo when you're driving down the highway and you see it without a single word. The picture conveys everything about the company or the owner. It's built into the logo. In one second, the image of the company captures the heart of the company, and Jesus is the logo. Jesus showed up on earth, and we look at Jesus, and we see everything that God is about. And guess what? Jesus is God because God is uh, triune. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. Somebody say, Jesus is God. I met some people a while back did not know Jesus was God. Christians. Something come up about Jesus being God, and they looked. What? Jesus is God. Yes! Jesus is God. Let's go to preschool. Jesus is God. He is God the Son. Jesus is God on the earth. Jesus is God wrapped in humanity. Jesus is God presented to us where we can understand more than in any other way. And guess what? Jesus was not created in the womb of Mary. God the Son is eternally existent. God the Father is eternally existent. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There has never been a time in how, how they are three and they're just one. Don't ask. I don't know. And you're not going to sum it up with an ice cube or an egg either. The Trinity is God, the triune God, one God, eternally existent in three persons, has always existed. God the Son has always been with the Father, has been with the Holy Spirit in ageless past and endless future. Jesus is God. We see the very heart of God on display right here on the earth, right in front of the whole world when we look at Jesus. We see his patience. We see his love. We see his power. He can walk on water. He can speak to storms. He flies. We see him ascend. He walks through solid walls. All the apostles are in a room where he isn't, and then he suddenly appears in the middle. He heals the sick. He opens deaf ears and blinded eyes and mute tongues and raises the dead. We see his power. We see his mercy. We see his mercy when he deals with the woman caught in the act of adultery or the, uh, the woman at the well or dealing with children. The children loved Jesus. The kids were running up to Jesus, climbing him like a tree. And the disciples said, hey, get off of Jesus. And Jesus said, don't tell them they can't climb me like a tree. Back off of these kids, for such are the kingdom of heaven. How does God feel about your kids? Like that. And guess what? He thinks you're kids. He thinks you are kids. You're his kids. That's how he feels about you. When we look at Jesus, we see all of this, his mercy, his grace, and I told you we were going to come back to it. It's hard for me to say this. If the Bible didn't say it, I think I couldn't say it. Even God's humility, even God being humble, that's so weird. It's not like he's in humbled circumstance. His humility. It's not like he's humiliated, but God operates in humility and God chooses to be humble. Let me show you. To think 
To think that God's desire to be with us matches the power which he has over us is an incomprehensible love that we can only ponder on, that we can only meditate on and adore him in our serving, in our act of worship. And still, for whatever reason, he just decided to create humanity just to lavish his love on and for humanity to share. God shares. Some of us haven't even figured out how to share. God is generous, and God decided to create humanity and share in bearing his image and to share in ruling with him. God shares authority. So he put man in the garden and gave him dominion over all of the earth and the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea and every moving thing and God sharing. We see throughout the Old Testament the the heavenly Sanhedrin, the host of heaven, and God calling on them in counsel. God including his creation in decisions. Incredible. This great, all-powerful being chooses humility, chooses to be humble, chooses to share. And then we got human beings that are proud. Come on, all of us, come on. God is great. God is good. God chooses to be humble and to share. He is generous, giving of his very self. He is sacrificial. He is humble to the point of sacrifice. Sacrificial. So this is how God's brain works. And then in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, we see this. The great apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Uh, contextually considering the attributes of God and God's humility, he says, have this mind, this way of thinking, this brain, these thoughts, this attitude and perspective, way of operating, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. King James says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, have this humble servant mindset, because Jesus had it. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. We'll come back to the verse. Pause there. I have to admit, and I think many of you are like me, when Jesus was on the earth, had I been God, wrapped in humanity, I'd have been doing what I wanted, when I wanted, and that would have included taking some jokers out. It would have... Not been Jesus. Jesus kept saying, how long do I have to put up with you? I would not have. I wouldn't have asked how long to put up with you. I wouldn't have put up with him. That would have been it. That would have been it. 
I would not be good at being God. And you would not be good at being God. And Jesus, being God, listen to this. Back to our uh, Philippians 2. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God, and really it should say Father, therefore the Father has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see the evidence of God's status and position, his power and strength, his knowledge and wisdom, his goodness and love, and his desire of us. He desires us. And we see his sacrifice to win us and to be with us. That is our introduction. And now we will preach our sermon. I'm not joking. Here we have these attributes. And then he invites us into oneness with him. All of that, all of that that we've just shared, and then God invites us into it, into a union with him, to be one with him. John 17, 6. I've got to do quite a bit of reading. If your mind is where mine is right now, you're going to love this. This is what Jesus said. He said this out loud, praying to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Jesus is getting ready to check out. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them. Keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, pause. Jesus Christ says of believers, Father, make them one with us in the same way that we are one. Dad, the way that you and I are absolutely one Make them one with us, just like that. 
what manner of love hath he bestowed on us to call us the sons of God? All right, we'll keep reading. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. Guard them. Keep them. Cover them. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. He's going to talk about you. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's what we're doing right now. It's happening. Through their word. And then I lost my place. Hold on a second. I got to find it. Huh? I can't hear you. Oh, they may all be one. I'm just starting here. Oh, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, you see this? Jesus says, you sent me and I told them. Now, I sent them so they will tell these folks, and then these folks will go and tell so the world may believe. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them. God shared the glory. He even shared his glory. He said, you gave me glory, I gave it to them. I gave it to them. Why? That they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. That means we get to be where he is. And when you're a believer, spiritually, you're already there. But at the end of this, corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Mortality is going to put on immortality, and your eyes are going to be open, and faith is going to become sight. This is why precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. The Bible says that the day somebody is born is when you should cry. You should rejoice when they die. Wow. The glory that you gave me before because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know 
that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. That's why we got to keep reading, keep reading, keep reading, keep talking about it. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Can we just give the Lord a hand clap right here? When we, as the church, when we as believers make the entire reason of this whole thing simply, I was going to be punished by the God for my sins, but Jesus did something nice, and now I won't be punished. When we make this whole Christianity, when we make the whole Bible message, I was in a lot of trouble, and now I'm not. God was going to take me out, now he isn't. When we make it just that, we have missed the whole point. We have missed the whole point, the real point of who God really is and that he's a father who wants us to be in a loving relationship with him as his children and all of us as the family of God. Listen close. The gospel invitation is not an invitation to be a slave who is thankful not to get whipped. That's not the call. If you'll come and do this, you can be God's slave and he won't beat you. Oh, happy day. But that's what a lot of us have believed. That's not the invitation. The invitation is God saying, I am God. I am the only God. I'm the ever-present God. I'm the all-knowing God. I'm the all-powerful God. I'm the everywhere God. I'm the loving God, the God who is light. And I want you to be my son. I want you. I want you in my family. I want you here with me. That is the gospel invitation. I want you to be one with me. Isn't this good news? I've been to a lot of churches and heard a lot of bad news. But this gospel is good news. Listen, when the prodigal son came home, He was a son. But what he said was, I've been away doing my own thing, my own way, working against my father, spoiling all the blessings of my father, who never did me anything but good. He said, I see that my father's servants have it better than me. Let me go back and just be a servant in my father's house. I won't be out here getting beat up by the world. I'll go back and I'll be a servant. That was his mind frame of what he thought the father would do. Luke 15, 17. 
When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. This sounds kind of like a lot of folks when they get saved. I'm kind of tired of living out here in sin. I heard God give me some bread. God, here I am. Rescue me. Rescue me, and I'll be your slave. I'll do whatever the God things are. I'll hang out with these church people and, uh, you know. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. No longer worthy. I'm not really like these church folk. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, which must mean his father had been looking every day since he left. And felt compassion and ran. You see, the, the invitation had already been given. His father, he knew. A father that would honor the son and give him the inheritance would also say, you remember where home is. And his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, came and died and got up again. In the moment we place faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, we, these sons who were dead, rise again. We are baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are made one with him. God only has two sons. And as far as God is concerned, there's only two human beings. The first Adam, and by one man's sin, transgression came on all the first Adam, and the last Adam. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam. By which, by whose death, righteousness came on many, those that would choose him. Every human being in this room and every human being in the world exists in one of the people. They either exist in Adam, they are lost, they are under the fall, they are in sin, or they are in the last Adam. When God looks at me, he doesn't see me, he either sees Adam or he sees Jesus. 
And because I've accepted Jesus and I am in union with him and I am one with him, when the Father looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the perfection and the holiness and the sinlessness and the completeness. He sees Jesus. Who are you in today? Are you a son of Adam or are you a son of God? Do you exist in your sin or do you exist in Christ? Listen to this. Jesus said in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. And really later we find out that we are brothers with Christ. We are children of the Father, heirs of the Father, joint heirs with Jesus. We are grafted into the sonship of Jesus. And now we are sons of the Father just like he is. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Listen to this from John chapter 1 and verse 9. That was the true light, talking about Jesus, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, to the Jewish people, and his own received him not. Some, but not as a whole. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God, born again, born of the Spirit, born from above. Now, some translations here say that he gave power to become the children of God, including male and female. But honestly, son is a much better translation. Because when he is saying, you become a son of God, he's not talking about women are not daughters. It's Jesus, the son of God, that came and died. What he is saying is that no matter who you are, you are now placed in the Son. When you are born again, when you receive Jesus, when you place faith in what he did, Hannah, you're a son of God. Tiffany, you're a son of God. Cameron, you're a son of God. Why? By identification. Because when he looks at you, he sees Jesus, his son. We are baptized into sonship. It has nothing to do with male, female. It has to do with the one that came, and now we're the family of God. God didn't invite you, hey, want to get forgiven? All right, come and get forgiven. Now work for me. Before sin came into the world, and if sin had not come into the world, God wanted you as family. Sin came and got in the way. So God dealt with it so he could get back to the purpose, which is you and I being his sons. God's invitation to you definitely includes forgiveness. Of course it does. It must. 
But God's invitation to you is so much bigger than, did I step out of line? Would this be a sin? Did I mess up? How are my tally points today? Am I in trouble today? Do I go to the principal's office today, the big principal's office? How it must break the heart of God as a father that we have made this whole thing a system of merit and demerit. What if your babies, what if your children, what if you overheard them from the next room saying, I was good today. I hope mom loves me today. Daddy probably doesn't love me right now because I I drew on the wall. What if your kids thought of you, what you've been thinking of God? What if your kids thought your relationship with them was a works system of what you did and what you didn't do? You know that would be horrible. Because somewhere inside of you, you know what it means to be a parent of a child and that those are your babies, no matter what. We'll deal with behavior and discipline, but that's got nothing to do with me loving my babies and them being mine. Where do you think you got that idea? Where do you think you got that heart? Where do you think you got that perspective? from the one that you've been treating like a legalistic judge instead of a loving father? People say, well, what about sin? What about living right? When you realize who he is to you and what he thinks of you, you don't want to act a fool. You don't want to act crazy. You want to be an ambassador of Christ and an image bearer of the Father, and give him glory with your whole life, with everything you do. You want to do it his way, in his time. His thing, his way, his time. Are you going to fail? Sure. But it's not the pattern. It's not who you are. Hallelujah. God is inviting you to have him as your father. And some people didn't have real great fathers. God says, here I am. God will do what no earthly father could do. And God will do what no earthly mother could do. And God will do what no earthly friend could do. God will do what no earthly uh, defense attorney could do. (laughs) Come on. God. God. Romans 8, 15 and 16. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Used to be scared of God, like God's going to get you. Oh man, I better watch out. I at least stop in the church. All right, I'll come up with some tithe money, get God off my back. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but here's what you have received the spirit of adoption. You've been adopted. But guess what? It's not a paper adoption where it's written down, it's a spirit adoption. You are actually in the family. You are actually a son of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba. Abba. Little Jewish kids. Abba, Abba. Usually the first word, just like 
Dada. Baba. If you were in India, they would say Baba. Here, we change it to Papa. Abba. That word Abba, it shows the intimate child-father relationship. The precious, close, loving relationship of a dad with his babies. Abba. You have an Abba today. He wants you in the family. By which we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Isn't that so funny? When you get saved, you love him. You love him. Something in you is like, I love God. I love God. He's my father. There's just this thing in you. It's the spirit of adoption. It is your spirit bearing witness with the Holy. It is the Holy Spirit in you. That's your dad. That's your father. Hallelujah. Let's look at Galatians 4 and verse 3. Even so, when we were children, We were in bondage under the elements of the world. Elements of the world. You know, people think if you do good, you are good. If you do bad, you are bad. Everything's a works balancing act. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem. You were marrying the Christmas thing, weren't you? Y'all were Joseph and Mary. Yeah, you made me think of it. You were to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant but a son. People say, oh, I'm a servant of the Most High God. You do you, boo. I'm a son. You can be on the outer courts getting my meal if you want to. But I'm sitting at the table. I'm a son. Of course we serve him. Of course we serve him. But we are sons. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want to end with a little story. I was meeting the other day with a, thank you, Vince. I was meeting the other day with a pastor friend of mine, a local pastor, great church. And uh, because of the story, I won't say, because I don't want to bring any embarrassment to anybody or anything, but he said they have had an influx of uh, Catholic people joining their church. Finding, finding the gospel, getting saved. There's a precious lady, Catholic lady. She's 69 years old. Okay? So she's not a, she's not a kid. 69-year-old lady. She's a cradle Catholic. She was born into the Catholic church, raised in the Catholic church, attended the Catholic church every 
every Sunday of her life. And she's been a very good Catholic, a very sincere Catholic, doing everything she can to do what she believes she's supposed to do. She was raised in a, a home that, by all intents and purposes, really were rather abusive in disciplinary measures and all in the name of God. I mean, she was beaten. She's got a lot of trauma. In recent times, she's been going to see a counselor to help her. And she had stopped going to the church. And at one point, the counselor said to her, he said, you know, you you may really want to consider finding a church. She said, I'd like to. She said, but I'm scared. She said, I I wish, she said, I wish there was such a place that you could go to church and that you would feel better when you left than when you went in instead of feeling worse. The counselor, the lady said, does such a thing exist? The counselor said, yeah. He said, there's such and such church, and he named this, it's a wonderful local church here in our area where they teach the Bible and they're a great family, great pastor. And he said, why don't you try there? She said, okay. So she went. She liked it. And the pastor has been counseling with her. And a few weeks back, or a while, I don't know exactly, I think it was a few weeks back, he asked her a question, and she said, well, she said, I'm just, she said, I'm trying to be as good as I possibly can, she said, because I want to be okay with God, and I want to make heaven. And it did in that pastor what it done, what it has just done in many of you didn't know the gospel. He said, he said, what if, this must have been the Holy Spirit. He said, what if you found out that being good had nothing to do with how you get into heaven? She looked at him like a deer in headlights. She said, well, she said, all I know, she said, I'm trying to be a good girl. She said, I've tried to be a good girl my whole life. She said, to be as good as I can because I want to make it to heaven. He repeated. He said, what if you found out that being good had nothing to do with getting to heaven or God being okay with you? She said, I, I, don't know, I don't know what you mean. He said, what if getting into heaven was not about being good, but was about being godly? He said, what if you had to be godly? He said, 
how would you do that? She said, I have no idea. I have no idea. He said, I want you to read something. And he opened the Bible. And he began to take her to some very simple scriptures, probably like those in the Roman road and these kind of things about salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. On and on and on and on and on. Sorry, Stacy, that was really fast. <laughs> you don't have to interpret that part. So he opened the Bible, and he didn't read the verses. He handed it to her. He said, read this. So she read it. He said, read this. She read, read this. She got upset. She said, how did I go to church for 69 years and nobody ever told me? pastor said the way you get godly is that you get God <laughs> through Jesus all these folks sitting in churches with a balancing act just trying to be a better person just trying to be like Johnny Cash and walk the line just trying to don't walk like he did till the end How do I get me and God to be okay? How do I get to heaven? If you want to say it that way. I become a son. I become a son. I become a child of God himself. I skip right past the sin thing. I, okay, we are sinners. Yes, we have transgressed the law. That is the evidence of us being lost, being separated from God. But what do I do to fix it? I go to dad. Dad's supposed to fix it, right? Well, he did. God, I mean, Father, I, I know I'm a sinner. I heard that you love me. I heard that you love me in spite of me. I heard you want me in the family. I don't understand. It's even hard for me to believe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my sin. But I want you. I believe that your son, Jesus, God the Son, came to heaven. And I believe that he took my place by dying on an old rugged cross. I believe he shed, my, shed his blood for my sin. And I believe that God the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead three days later. And I understand that he wants to live in me and wants me to live in him just like he lives in you and you live in him so that we can be one with you like he is and us. And Yes. I say yes. I believe you. I put my faith in you. Do that thing. And with open arms, the Holy Spirit begins to wash 
all of the stuff. And then he kills the old you and creates a brand new you, a holy you. You got the same brain. You're still going to want to knock some folks out. But the real, the real you, brand new, brand new. Just like you got born when you were born, now you get born again. You get born a spiritual birth, and you're a brand new baby Christian. That precious 69-year-old Catholic lady is a little baby, a little baby Christian in the body of Christ. And now she's one of the sons of God. She's in the son of God. And you can be too. And everything changes. And you'll fall in love with your father. Unless you go to some mean church that tells you he's mean all the time. Then you just be frustrated until you give up and find the right church. There's a lot of good churches in our area. Thank God for that one that that lady found. Got a lot of great pastors in our area that are preaching the gospel. Thank God for it. Would you stand with me? You can hear my throat. My mucinex is running out. I'm going to have to hit that bottle again. I'm going to see if I can get it on a drip. I don't think that would work, would it? It didn't work that way. I want to I ask two, two things. Is there anybody here? I'm talking to Christian people. Is there anybody here that would be willing to say that before this message that you didn't realize this? <laughs> Did anybody <laughs> Did anybody learn anything today about what it means that God is a father and we're we're in his son and that this thing is so way more awesome than well, won't be punished now. I was a sinner, now I won't be punished. Okay. I mean great, obviously. Sons of God. Here's the second question. I wonder if there's anybody here today that is not yet a son of God. You see, he doesn't force it on anybody. He offers it and he invites you and then it's up to you. Grace provided it, but your faith decides it. Grace is objective, faith subjective. Grace says it's done, it's here, come get it. But it's up to you. It is up to you. If you decide to place your trust, faith is just another word for trust, it's fancy. If you decide to trust that God sent his son and that he died for you, got up again, and you say, yes, I want to be forgiven, I want to be in the family. Would there be even one person here? To, and maybe today, maybe it's the first time you ever heard it like that. Maybe it's the first time you say, I just didn't realize. Of course I want that. If that's you, 
Would you step out? Jesus said, if you declare the Father publicly, he'll declare you before the Father. He said, if you deny me, there's no salvation outside of Jesus. Everybody in the scripture that Jesus called, he called publicly. Would there be one person here that says, yep, preacher, this is what I want. Would you step out from where you are and would you come right here? I would love the honor. You don't need me to be saved, but I would love the honor of leading you in that prayer. God bless you, doll. I would love the honor of leading you in that prayer to be born again. Not this thing of, all oh, try to be good, you know. No, I want to be born again. Anyone else, you say, I want Jesus. I want Jesus in me and me in Jesus. I want to be a child of God. Anybody else before we pray? <clears throat> Come right now. Come right now. If you're watching at home, you pray with us as we pray here. And maybe you want that, maybe you didn't come forward. Pray it anyway. And then grab me right after service and tell me, would you repeat this prayer after me out loud? Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you love me. I know you want me in the family. I know you sent Jesus. Jesus, I know you died. I know you got up again. Forgive all my sin and live in me. Your word says, I am forgiven of all sin. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am born again on my way to heaven. And I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons give you real hope for real life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook or Instagram at The River. 